0: All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started. How you guys doing? Everybody doing well? Nobody blew away last night? That's good. Um, how many of you guys consider yourself to be observant people? Anybody consider themselves to be observant? So I live with a house full of girls, and uh, I get this dreaded question a lot, where some one of them will come stand in front of me and say, what looks different? And I'm... I'm incredibly observant about the big stuff, like is everybody breathing and still alive, nobody's crying, like I'm really observant about that stuff, but some of the details I'm not always the most observant on. If you ever find yourself in that situation, I have a way that I handle it that's worked pretty well so far. So usually I'll just take a quick look over, see if anything like stands out. If nothing stands out, it's usually either makeup, hair or clothes, you have a 33% chance of success. Just take three fingers and smack them on the table and see which one hurts the most, and that's the one you go with, either hair, makeup, or clothes, you know? So I thought we'd conduct a little experiment this morning to see who of you are observant, all right? So I'm going to break the church in half. So if you're on where Jocelyn, if you're in that row, where Jocelyn starts right here in this side, you guys stand up for a second. Everybody stand up. We're going to do like Catholic Church, up and down we go, okay? All right, so you guys look at this, everybody on this side of the room who's sitting down, and I want you to look and see what you observe about them that's the same as you guys. Probably a lot of things you could pick, but just look for a second. You don't have to say it out loud, just make a mental note. What do you observe about them that's the same as you? All right, now you guys can be seated. Now you guys can stand up, all right? So what do you guys see in the people on this side of the room that's the same as you guys? Just take a quick look around, a little little gander, see what you got going, you know. All right, you guys can sit down. Now there's probably a lot of things that you could have observed about the things that are similar, about those people that are on this side of the room and those that are on on this side of the room. But the thing that stands out to me is you guys are all sitting in rows. Did anybody observe that? Was that anybody's thing? You guys are all sitting in rows. And rows work really, really well for what we're doing here on a Sunday morning where I'm preaching. Hopefully you guys are listening. You're not on your cell phone, but hopefully you're listening and hearing what the Lord wants to speak to you. That's actually what you're supposed to be doing on a Sunday morning is is sitting here trying to hear what the Lord wants to speak to you because there is something that he wants to speak to you today. But if I'm honest, when I look at the early church, there were times that they sat in rows, but there was a lot of times where they didn't sit in rows. There's a lot of times that the early church sat in circles. And I think that circles were better for the early church and circles are better for us. During the pandemic, we had a a season of time where we had to shut down the church and we did that. And uh, I was super conflicted when that happened. I remember we would sit in board, board meetings and talk about what we were going to do and how we were going to handle that situation. Uh, my objective in those meetings was just trying to get everybody on the same page and make a decision together. Um, but I personally was super conflicted about that because, and I'm not wanting to get into all the ins and outs of, of that or anything like that this morning, but I was super conflicted about it because that meant we weren't gathering together. And gathering together is very, very important. Gathering together is not just a fun thing to do. It's not just a social event. Gathering together is a necessary spiritual discipline for every believer. Gathering together is a necessary spiritual discipline for every single believer. When Satan tempted Jesus, what did he do? He got Jesus alone in the desert. So what is the enemy going to do when he wants to try and tempt us, when he wants to try and take us out? He's going to get us isolated. He's going to get us alone, and then we can find ourselves in a world of trouble. There's a famous quote that I really like that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. I don't know about you, but I want to go far in my faith. I want to go far in my walk with God I want to make it to the end, either until Jesus returns or until I breathe my last breath. So if I want to make it that far in my faith, then I need you guys to go with me. We need to go together. We need each other. I want to look this morning at Acts chapter 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I want to give you a little context of what's going on leading up to Acts chapter 2. Jesus has come. He's walked on earth. He's had his ministry. He had three years with the disciples where he was ministering to people. That's what happens in the Gospels largely. He has been crucified. He's been buried. He's risen again. And now he's ascended unto heaven. Acts chapter 2 is a significant turning point for the church. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples are waiting for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. In Acts 1, the disciples were equipped, but in Acts 2, the disciples were empowered. In Acts 1, they're held back, but in Acts 2, they're sent out. In chapter 1, Jesus ascends, but in chapters 2, the Holy Spirit descends. This is what's happening on the timeline leading up to the scripture that I want to look at today. I will look at Acts chapter 2. I want to start in verse 42 and read through verse 47. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to look for a second at verse 46, and then we're going to kind of walk our way through this scripture. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So the early church did meet in rows. They met at the temple. They went to church. They worshipped. They heard teaching, and they applied it to their life. But they also met in each other's homes. They didn't just somehow share an event together one day a week. They shared their lives together, and they turned the world upside down, and that was a big part of the reason why. I want to share with you this morning four ways that the early church lived in circles that I see in this portion of Scripture, I think we can learn a lot from it. The first way that I see that they lived in circles was spiritually. i take this out of verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The word that I want to draw your attention to first is devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. When I think of the word devoted, I think of a commitment or a vow or something like that. But what I, what I learned when I looked up this word is it has, has a, a component to it of happening continually. It has the idea of being continually steadfast, or a better way to say it might be constantly devoted. So they were always devoting themselves to this. What I want you to understand is that you will understand God better in the context of a group than you ever would on your own. There will be things about God that you could never possibly learn or understand, things that you wouldn't see in a scripture unless it was in a group of people. People have different perspectives, and that helps us to better understand the Lord. This scripture also uses the word fellowship. We have a a room over here to the south that we call the Fellowship Hall. Pretty much, I grew up in church, and pretty much every church that my family was in had a church that we called the Fellowship Hall, and growing up, I learned to associate the Fellowship Hall with food, like that was the room that we went to to get snacks, and I could always like rummage around in there when I was a little kid and find something to eat, but fellowship is so much more than casseroles and hot dogs. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than that. The word fellowship that's actually used here is the word koinonia. It refers to doing life together. Aldred was a 12th century monk that was famous for his teachings on fellowship. It was kind of the main thing that he focused on in his ministry. And the way that he defined fellowship was spiritual friendship. I think to some degree we're doing fellowship here this morning. Maybe some of you fellowshiped with one another when you came in, and maybe some of you will fellowship with each other when you leave. I think we're fellowshipping when we get a meal together. I think we're fellowshipping when we grab a coffee together or we go on a hike together. I think all those things can be fellowship where we share what we have in common. We look to encourage one another. But I think if we're honest, most of those things that we do, like that I, I reference, are things that are scheduled. Um, like we say to somebody, hey, let's grab coffee next Thursday, or maybe you guys want to come over on Wednesday night or something like that. And we say things to our friends like, hey, come over anytime. But what we really mean by come over anytime is like call first or text first, like make sure it's a good time, like make sure my house doesn't look like a bomb went off before you come over, like I'll make sure everything is Okay. Maybe some of you have had that experience of finding out that someone's coming over to your house and you have like maybe like five minutes before they get there and mom turns into like a sergeant telling everyone to do. It's like a military operation to pull your house together and make it presentable. Like the amount you get accomplished in that five minutes is it's a miracle. It's amazing. God moved in that place. Um, fellowship is more like inviting a friend to experience life with you when there's still laundry on the floor, when there's still dishes in the sink and maybe there's a baby crying, when the yard's not picked up and toys are still laying laying around. Koinonia is when you find out your husband has cancer, when you find out your mom died, when you get fired from your job and you invite a friend into that place. Koinonia is not just when your life is all pulled together and looking nice and polished. Koinonia is on the good days and the bad days. Fellowship is when you wake up early to get breakfast with a friend and confess your sins to one another. This is the kind of fellowship that the disciples had, and it's the kind kind of fellowship that the Lord is calling us to. Pastor Andy Stanley says, your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. Most of you have heard things like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, or you're the average of the five people you're closest to. Fellowship is so much more than eating casseroles. Fellowship, or the lack thereof, will literally make or break your life. And the disciples knew this, and they lived like it. They took it that seriously. And we look at the disciples and what they accomplished and the amount of time that they had with the mission God gave them. And sometimes we wonder, how in the world did they do it? Honestly, I think the way that they lived together was a big part of it. The way they shared their life together to support each other and help one another. The second way that I see the early church living in circles is physically. This is in Acts 2.44. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. By following the apostles' teachings, these people were reflecting who Jesus was. And because of who Jesus was, that caused them to be givers. Maybe some of you have been to the doctor before, and you get a physical, and you remember You sit up on that bench and they kind of tap the front of your knee with a hammer and your your foot kind of kicks out like that. And it's kind of weird when that happens, right? It's like, whoa, I didn't do anything to make that happen. It just kind of happened. That's called a reflex. A reflex is when you didn't control what happened, but what happened on the outside is because what's on the inside is working properly. It's an outward thing that your body does because what's on the inside is working properly. When you give, it's a reflex, it's a response, because Jesus is inside of you and working properly. When Jesus is inside of you and working properly, the natural response to that is to be a giver. And we see that in the way that the disciples lived. Some of them sold property and possessions and did whatever they needed to do to care for one another. There was no social services. There was no government to take care of things. There was the church. And the church responded to the need around them, and they gave. In our flesh, we don't usually want to give. In our flesh, we feel like I worked hard for what I have, and I want to keep it for myself. And you might look at someone, and you might be like, well, maybe if you worked hard, you'd have a little money in your pocket too. But in the spirit, when we see a need, we look at our brothers and sisters around us. We see people in need, and the Jesus inside of us says, I see a need. And I want to be a part of meeting that need because we are in this walk together. We are one body in this together. It might look like running errands for someone who needs help. It might look like shoveling snow for someone who struggles with that. It might look like giving someone a ride. It might look like giving somebody some money because you're blessed and you have more than enough. It might look like giving someone your car instead of selling it because that you see someone who's in need. Sometimes people around us are fighting battles we don't even know anything about. Sometimes we sit in church on a Sunday morning and we see people and they smile and they polish up all nice and they look good. But sometimes people are struggling. People are going through really, really difficult things that we don't know anything about. And when we see a need and we look to meet that need, that's us Being the body of Christ, looking at what God has done for us, the way that He gave for us, and saying, Of course, I'm going to be a giver because the Jesus that I love and serve was a giver. So then I become a giver. April and I were talking to one of our girls this week, and she was talking about some hard stuff that she was going through, and she was struggling. And April was kind of talking to her about it, and I was just kind of sitting there listening, and she said, life is so hard sometimes, and I need Jesus to come and meet me in the hard stuff of life. First of all, I was like, what more can you ask as a parent than to see your kid, like life is hard, plain and simple, for all of us, it's a struggle at times, but to see your kid crying out to God and saying, God, like, I need you to meet me in that place. But that's not just somehow for kids, that's for us, too, like... Life is very, very challenging sometimes. The Bible promises, not a promise I like, but it says in this world you will have trouble. And that's been true for me, and it's probably been true for most of you too. But it's in those hard things that we desperately need God, and we desperately need each other. What an incredible gift when you find yourself in one of the battles of life that we go through. An incredible gift to have a friend in that battle. An incredible gift to have a a friend that will come alongside of you and say, I know you don't have the strength to fight this battle. I know you don't have the strength to stand right now, but I'll come lean up against you and I'll lend my strength to you. I'll lend my faith to you. I'll lock my shield with your shield to fight this battle with you. You are not alone. I'm in it with you. That is such a gift. If you've ever found yourself in that place, I know I have, where I found myself in a place where I was like, I don't even have the faith to come out of this thing. I don't have the strength to come out of this thing. And in those times where I've had friends come alongside me that have literally helped to save me, to help to keep me moving forward to what God has called me to. When we see a need and we meet that physical need, we're following in the steps of the disciples. We are being the body of Christ. The third way I see the early church living in circles is emotionally This is in verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There's a PBS documentary that was put out called This Emotional Life. And I heard something in that documentary that I thought pertained to what we're talking about today and I wanted to share share it with you. It said, Researchers have found that people are happier with other people than when they're alone. And the boost is the same for introverts and extroverts. They also found that happy people are more pleasant, helpful, and sociable. Go figure. Being around other people makes us happier. And then listen to this. When we are happier, we are more fun to be around, creating an upward spiral of happiness. An upward spiral of happiness it's almost like the God who made us knows the atmosphere that he made us to thrive in. We were not made to do life alone. We were made to do life together. You and I are better together. I really like that phrase, an upward spiral of happiness, because I've heard depression described as a downward spiral of discouragement. When we spend time together emotionally, it has the opposite effect on us as depression. Maybe the prescription the disciples lived out is the antidote to depression that's so rampant today in the world around us. You've all probably heard of, of the winter blues or seasonal depression, which is basically a condition where during the winter months, people tend to, some people tend to struggle with discouragement. And there could be all kinds of reasons, physiological reasons and stuff like that for that. And then just not having a lot of exposure to the sun can have an effect on that. But I was thinking about that in relationship to what I'm talking about, the fact that we're better together. And I I started to look at what our lives can look like sometime in the winter. And I think sometimes we can end up pretty isolated from the people around us. Sometimes we come out of our warm house to our Pre-warmed car, we start it with a remote starter before it's time to go out there. Then we enter into our car that's already warm for us with our nice warm seat for our backside. Then we go to work and we go into our warm office. Then we do the reverse on the way home, back into our pre-warmed car and then back into our warmed house. And we never had any fellowship in our day, hardly at all. Maybe we were around people a little bit. Maybe we saw people, but there wasn't really any fellowship I wonder if being more intentional about doing life together, even when it's cold, would change the way that we feel emotionally. The disciples spent a ton of time together, and the scripture says their hearts were glad. I think some time together in the winter months would do a lot of good for a lot of us. Maybe being together and laughing together would be helpful to those of us that struggle with discouragement in the winter months. Maybe being together and crying together. Maybe just doing life together would shake off some of the depression that some of us feel in those winter months. The disciples spent time together in each other's homes, living in circles, and their hearts were glad. And I think living in circles would help our hearts to be glad too. The last way I see the early church living in circles is missionally. This is in verse 47. It says, praising God... And enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A sim- simple definition of missional is living on mission, or living a living life on purpose, doing what God called you to do with your life. Circles help the disciples live on mission. We usually have a, a baptismal service every fall, in the beginning of the fall season. And oftentimes, I'll talk to people who are about to get baptized and I'll ask them what brought them to this place that they're at on that day. What brought them to this place in their faith journey? And almost always, people will tell me about the people that walked with them in their learning about God people who encouraged them, people who shared about the Lord with them, people who answered questions they had that, that brought them to that place. I was talking to someone recently whose friend had gotten saved. His friend had gotten saved and gotten baptized, and he was watching his friend, and it was like his friend's life was changing in front of his eyes, and it was kind of uncomfortable, and he kind of didn't even know what to do with it because him and his friend had been close for so long, and now his friend isn't the same person anymore, and it was kind of a, a weird transition. They weren't even totally sure how to navigate it, but the friend who had given his life to the Lord just said, like, you're my friend, and I'm not bailing on you. Like, we're going to keep doing life together, so they kept doing life together. And the friend watched this change happen in his friend. He started asking his friend questions, trying to understand what was happening. Then his questions went from kind of surface questions to more difficult and deeper questions. And this wasn't like some type of formal education. This was like questions while they were watching a basketball game together, questions while they were out to get wings. And eventually, this friend was so impacted by what he saw in his friend's life that he decided to give his life to the Lord, and he decided to get baptized. Because this guy was willing to open his life to his friend, because he chose to live life in circles, he was able to live out the mission that God had called him to. He was able to share his faith with his friend and eventually lead him to the Lord. This kind of stuff doesn't happen while we're sitting in rows. This kind of stuff happens while we're sitting in circles between Sunday and Sunday, doing life together. I love this building. I was walking around in the sanctuary praying this week, thanking God for the people who came before me who sacrificed to pay for this building, who sacrificed to physically build this building, to invest in this area. There's a bunch of people that came before us to make this possible, and I was thanking the Lord for those people this week. I do that often. I love to get together and worship together. I love what it's like here. I love the feeling of love, the feel, feeling of welcome home on a Sunday morning. But a Sunday is not enough. We need more. This is actually the specific reason that we do life groups. We don't do life groups to try and fill up the church calendar or schedule. In fact, to be honest with you, I've been cutting everything out of the church schedule that I don't think is explicitly pertinent to what God has called us to. But I do believe that life groups are explicitly pertinent to what God has called us to, to live life together. This is what God has called us to. A key part of the, uh, of the disciples walking out the mission that God had gave them, that he put them on earth to do, was their relationships with each other. We need each other. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. This is why we do things like look who's coming to dinner. This is why we do things like life groups. This is why we do middles. This is why we do the ladies Bible study. This is why guys get together on Saturday mornings for coffee at Vertical. This is why on Wednesday morning we have a prayer group that meets here at church. It's because we need each other. We are better together. We are stronger together than we ever would be on our own. This morning, we're actually opening up sign-ups for life groups. And sign-ups are going to be for the next two weeks. You can actually sign up in the foyer on the bulletin board, or you can sign up online at flcwarsaw.com. Uh, and these life groups are going to run for six weeks. So when you sign up, you're signing up for a, a six-week group together. And there's all kinds of things that these uh, groups cover. And I think probably everybody here could find a group that they feel like they could fit into. And I would love to see every person who's a part of Family Life Church get plugged into a life group. Sometimes those life groups will decide to continue uh, meeting in an ongoing fashion beyond the six weeks. And when that happens, we think that's wonderful. Like that's what's, what we're seeing happen here with the early church is they wanted to spend more time together to encourage and strengthen one another. But when you sign up, you're signing up for like a six-week commitment, and then if you want to continue after that, you can decide if you, if you want to do that or not. If Jesus spent 12 hours a day with his disciples for a three-year period, that's about 13,000 hours that they spent together, and then they turned the world upside down for Jesus. An hour and a half together on a Sunday morning is good, sitting in rows, but it's not enough. We need circles And we need time together where we can encourage one another and strengthen one another, lend our strength to those people around us. John 13, verses 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. There's a lot of love here on Sunday mornings. It's actually something I'm really proud of you guys for is, for is the way that you welcome people and make people feel loved on a Sunday morning. I think it's great, but it's not enough. If the disciples needed more, you and I need more too. And that's part of the reason we're doing life groups and do some of the other things we do that build relationship around here. And I want to invite each of you to try and find a life group you can get plugged into and spend time together in circles. Did you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you so much for each person who's here this morning. I thank you that you brought us to this place, that you saved each one of us, and I thank you for the the growth that's happened in each one of our lives. But Lord, an hour on Sunday mornings is not enough, and we know that there's more that you have for us. Lord, I pray that as we start this season of life groups, that it would be more than just some social thing to go to. It would be a spiritual discipline. It would be a place where we encounter you would be a place where we build relationships with each other. I pray that deep friendships would be started in some of these life groups. Transformational relationships would be started in some of these life groups. Lord, I ask you to take this thing that we feel like you called us to, and we ask you to blow on it, that it would be a place where the Holy Spirit would move. We just give this whole season to you, and we ask you to use it for your glory and for our good. We bless you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Go sign up for a life group.